2: Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our team top 10 prospects podcast series today with the San Diego Padres. We're going to take a look at what fueled Jackson Merrill's strong first full season, get an update on Dylan Lesko and his health, and what the future of Luis Camposano is with the Padres. To do all that, I'm joined by my friend, colleague, and uh, fellow former Padres beat writer Jeff Sanders of the San Diego Union-Tribune. Jeff, thank you for joining me today. No problem, man. How have you been? Good, good. I I should clarify, I'm the former Padres beat writer. Jeff still covers the Padres for the Union-Tribune. Jeff, before we dive into the farm system, I feel like we have to talk about this organization and where they are. And I want to go back to last fall when you and I were sitting in the press box covering the Padres as they beat the Dodgers in the NLDS and got to the NLCS for only the third time in franchise history. And I just kept thinking back to some of the guys you and I watched during those long nights at Petco park in the mid 2010s, where watching them roll out Christian Friedrich and Paul Clemens and Jared Hosart on the mound and looking now, and they're throwing out you Darvish and Blake Snell and Joe Musgrove. It's just a completely different place as a franchise. And there were some stops and starts. It wasn't always smooth, but they finally got to where they wanted to be, and it really is kind of remarkable just thinking back to, to some of the guys that were rolling out there not that
1: long ago to where they are today. Yeah, you can walk uh, in the halls below Petco Park, and they have these lineups posted, and it's 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 amazing that they actually fielded some of these names in these lineups, let alone expected fans to, to pay to see them play. Um, obviously, things are in a lot better spot right now for fans, for the organization. Um, It's exciting for them. It's exciting for a a beat runner that's seen some bad baseball for a while. Yeah, you and I both saw a lot of that, as did everyone
2: else who's covered the Padres for a while. Uh, With that, the way they did that, for the most part, was by building an incredible farm system that ranked number one for us in 2019. But rather than graduating those guys and really building a major league core around them for the most part, they primarily use them in trades. And a lot of those guys have gone to success in other organizations. Um, there's some other guys they've traded. We'll talk about in a minute, but the Padres have become the competitive team. They dreamed of becoming and that continued last year. they, acquired Juan Soto as well as Josh Bell from the Nationals and one of the biggest trade deadline deals ever. They traded away CJ Abrams and Mackenzie Gore who were two of their top prospects for a very very long time. They traded away James Wood and Robert Hassel who were two of their top three prospects at the time of the trade last year as well as Harlan Susanna who is becoming one of the best young pitching prospects in the Arizona Complex League. So on the one hand, it was a huge, huge, huge trade, but you look at how this Padres team was built. you Darvish, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove. You go all around the diamond. There's guys who were acquired in trades, Jake Cronenworth, Trent Grisham. For the most part, this was a team built almost entirely via trades and, and by trading players from their farm system.
1: Yeah, if you're a minor leaguer in A.J. Padres' farm system, you are currency. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I joked with him last year during one of the champagne celebrations, like, Hey, you just like doubled my workload this offseason. like this top thirty, you know, thing that I do for Baseball America. I got to start all over. Thanks to him, and he just kind of laughed it off, and I was kind of bummed. But again, it's an exciting time, and um, you know, you look forward to see what what they're going to do next. Because at this time last year, we would have said that they probably didn't have the, the pieces to pull off a trade for a guy like Juan Soto. But then they get guys start playing. Um, you know, um, James Wood took off. Uh, Jackson Merrill took off. Um, Darlin Susanna took off. Um, so I think that's you know, you talk to people in the, in the organization now and they're like, oh, you know, the places that do these rankings they're sleeping on us again, and it's because they've got a lot of guys that haven't played yet. They haven't you know a lot of their draft picks did not play last year, so it, they're, they're starting all over. They're higher on their own guys as they always are, and we'll kind of see what happens this year.
2: Yeah, I remember being at the uh, Juan Soto Josh Bell introductory press conference last year down at PECO, and uh, a few Potters officials pulled me aside and said, you know, you guys had us way too low in your farm system rankings at, you know, 17th, 18th, considering we had the guys to pull off a trade like this. And you're right. A lot of their guys really performed even better than expected. Jeff, after all those trades, I wrote about this last year, Potters have traded 66 young big leaguers or prospects since they decided to try and compete after the 2019 season. So they've traded a lot of guys. And as a result, again, they're a team that reached the NLCS last year. Uh, With that, the farm system is shallow. Again, you take that trade off every day, a winning team on the field that comes within a few games of the World Series versus a highly ranked farm system. But the Potters have shown the ability to backfill a little bit, which is promising. But if you look at it right now, again, just by virtue of the, the trades they've made, this is not a very deep system. How do you kind of assess the overall quality of it now, and, and how would you kind of stack it up compared to farm systems of, of years past for the Padres?
1: Well, there's a lot of – it's risk-reward, right? Like, you know, the rankings now are a snapshot in time, and the truth – the fact of the matter is it's some of their best players haven't played yet. They just signed Ethan Salas. He's not ranked yet because he hasn't he hasn't played. He's 16. He just – Signed a deal. He's probably going to debut in the, um, you know, in the Arizona Complex League. Um, Lesko has not pitched yet. Snelling has not pitched yet. Mazer has not pitched yet. Um, Lamar King um, has not a handful of bats. I mean, he's a developmental guy. You know, he's got to they had to work on his foundation a lot last year. But there's just a lot of inexperience and things that development needs to, you know, to flush out in in the next few months. And maybe we'll have a better idea of where they're, you know, the system is at, you know, by the all-star break, see some of these guys start performing.
2: Yeah. Six of their top seven prospects have yet to play above the class A levels. And and as you mentioned, a few of them, Lesko, Snelling, Mazur have not played at all professionally. So there's a lot of risk reward here, as you put it. I I do want to talk about a guy though, that, While he has not played above the Class A levels, what he showed last year has a lot of people very, very high on him. And that's Jackson Merrill. He was somewhat of a surprise first-round pick in 2021 at the back of the first round. But immediately in minor league camp last year, he kind of jumped out. He's one of those guys that you walked in. It was pretty clear, just watching him compare to everyone else, that this guy – had something. There was something there. And then I went out to see him like Elsinore opening weekend, him and, and James Wood. And I wrote about it that very day. You know, James Wood was the guy who was just doing things that made your jaw drop. Jackson Merrill is a guy that's like, this is a really good ball player. Just really, really mature beyond his years. Really good at bats, smooth left-handed swing, played a really controlled, composed, instinctive shortstop. Again, just a guy I just keep going back to. This is a good ball player. It's just a really good ball player. Was limited by injuries his first year, but performed when he was on the field, went out to the fall league, held his own against higher level competition. And now he's considered pretty consensus, one of the top 25, 50 prospects at worst in baseball. What do the Padres have here and what do they
1: expect to see from him in year two after how impressive he was in year one? Well, the conversation with him when I talk to people in the organization, um, this quote stands out is culture changing makeup it's a guy that's a winner. I mean, he came back from his injuries last year. He led hopefully Lake Elsinore to a championship. Um, You know, he got caught, you know, he's a guy that wasn't scouted a whole lot by the industry. The Padres did their homework. They were comfortable with where they took him, but you know, the pandemic played into the fact that not a lot of people saw him. So he was, you know, a riser and a little bit of a surprise. And he came in he struck out a little bit more than they expected in um, rookie ball the summer after the draft. And then he just got better and better and better. You know, some of his his breaking ball um, recognition is far um, advanced for his level. And so he's a guy that, one, they want to see healthy. You know, you know they're going to keep him up the middle as long as possible, but there is some positional flexibility there. Um, you know, you could see him in the outfield. You could see him at first base, second base, third base. You could see him probably anywhere in future years but expect to see him at shortstop for as long as they can keep him there
2: yeah what stood out when i saw him again was just you talk about that maturity you know kind of that winning player mentality but it's it's composure it's maturity it's instincts he really did not look like a 19 year old who was in his first full professional season especially a guy who was coming from maryland not exactly a baseball hotbed I remember just, again, those opening games, you know, he's up there facing a 22-year-old lefty with good breaking stuff. He's hanging in there left on left, driving balls the opposite way in the left center. You don't see that very often from teenage high schoolers, especially their very first weekend of full season ball. And one of the things always stood out to me about him playing shortstop is he's not the guy who's not the twitchiest guy in the world who just has unbelievable range. But he's always in a really good position to make plays. He's very efficient with his movements. He plays shortstop more like a big leaguer than a low-A player. He's very, very efficient getting to the baseball. His hands are quick. It's really smooth. I remember there was a, a double play where he turned uh, Jordan Lawler with, with uh, Diamondbacks, who's a plus runner, scorched a ball up the middle of the field. Merrill was positioned perfectly, took two steps over up the middle, scooped it up, and in one very, very quick motion, stepped on second base, threw over to first to get a very fast Lawler. I was just like, wow, it was smooth, it was quick. And even though he's not rangy, he can definitely play the position. He does a lot of little things. And, and talking to the Padres I talked about, it comes from the work he puts in pregame, his footwork, his positioning, his pregame prep. It's all the things that take a player who's good and make them great he does it all and that just stood out to me that this is someone who again I just keep going back to this is a good ball player and it's it's skills it's preparation it's everything
1: yeah you know talking you know in preparing the top 30 there is some talk that some people in the organization wanted him to start the year at double a now i don't know that that's going to happen i think there's a lot of people in the organization that think that that should not happen but that that's just what they think of him they think he can move quickly um if he doesn't start the year at double a he'll most certainly finish the year there, if not get a fairly quick promotion. Jackson Merrill
2: was the clear-cut number one prospect in the system. You see that on our top 100. It's it's a pretty big gap between him and the number two prospect in the system. There was some debate at number two, though. You have two fuller opposite type of players. You have Dylan Lesko, who is considered not just the top prep pitcher in this year's draft class, but one of the top prep pitchers to come along in some time. Had Tommy John's surgery, has yet to thorough professional pitch. Then you have Luis Camposano who has been a prospect for the Potters for a while, has been a top 100 guy for multiple years, got up to AAA and has been there for the most part, got up to the majors again for the third straight year last year. So two guys kind of at the polar opposite ends of the prospect spectrum, there was a lot of debate discussion that they're hard to compare in some ways. Take us through that process and, and how you kind of stacked it up. And I know you and I talked about it throughout the process. We, we flipped them a lot, and ultimately Lesko got a slight nod just because the ceiling is considered so high.
1: Right. Well, so there's even a divide in the organization, right? Like, you know, the front office remains high on him. Player development remains high on him. But Campy didn't see hardly much time in the big leagues. You know, Austin Noah caught every inning um, in the postseason. That kind of says – you know, where, where the big league staff is. You know, there's a trust factor um, in, in Austin Nola, and there's some things that, you know, Capesano needs to do to, to get better. It, you know, he's a bat-first catcher. He's made some tremendous strides defensively, but it's more than just blocking and throwing and receiving and framing and all that. It's leading a pitching staff, remaining focused for nine innings. There's no let-up there. And so that's something that, the, you know, he's 24 years old, you know, he's going to get, you know, a chance this year. I mean, they, uh, they you know, non-tendered Jorge Alfaro. This is Campisana's time to, you know, really show the big league coaching staff, Bob Melvin, a former catcher who expects a lot out of his catchers, what he can do.
2: One thing I thought was encouraging is at the end of last season, he kind of became Joe Musgrove's personal catcher, at least at the end of the regular season. And they worked really well together. And I did think that was encouraging from the perspective of, and you kind of alluded to this, the questions about Camposano and again, the relationships he built with his pitchers, his ability to stay focused for nine innings, a lot of the mental makeup components that need to be there. Look, those questions have been present really since he was drafted and they still haven't been answered, which you know, is concerning considering he was drafted in 2017, it's now 2023, and it still hasn't gotten to where the Padres or others would want it to be. At the same time, it shows up in flashes. And I did think it was encouraging seeing him at least form that bond with one pitcher. And again, they were pretty successful together at the end of the year. How much are the Padres hoping he can build off that and and that relationship with Musgrove specifically?
1: You you know, that, that decision doesn't happen in a vacuum. That's not like, oh, they don't want Campisano. It's It's Austin Nola. It's a postseason run. It's comfortability. You know, and so, you know, there was that pairing with Musgrove, and that was successful, and the front office pointed a lot towards that as something that they think that can be replicated throughout, you know, throughout the staff at different points, you know. Is Campy Song going to catch you Darvish? No. But there's going to be some opportunities for him to catch other guys, and he's going to get a lot of opportunity this spring to show how far he's coming, how far he can still go. I mean, he's still 24 Catchers take a while to develop.
2: Yeah, it has been interesting just talking to other teams around the game. They have mostly lost interest in Camposano as a potential trade candidate just because of what they see as some of the concerns we've talked about. Again, the physical ability has always been there. It's, it's the staff building type of stuff that has been a question, effort, focus, etc. Given that there isn't much trade value there, is this kind of the make-or-break year for Kampasone to prove he belongs to be a, a part of the Padres long-term?
1: Yeah, it's hard not to say that, right? Um, I mean, you say he's been in the big leagues three straight years. I mean, 2020 doesn't count, right? He came up. He came one there. game, got hurt. I mean, they did carry him in the postseason, but yeah, that that one shouldn't be counted against him. Well, and then we look at 2021. Nola breaks his – I don't even remember what the injury was. He's had so many Um, Off the top of my head. So Nola starts the year on the injured list. Campusano is what on the opening day roster, I believe, or played, you know, in April. And I don't even think he played double A at that point. Like he went so, like, it hasn't been a linear thing. And I think these things get talked up against him where he hasn't had that, like, time to really develop, you know, other than, you know, when he finally got to triple A and it's been back to back years at triple A. But this team has been built to go and, they didn't have room or time to bring along a 22 year old catcher who needed to play every day. So, yeah, from the outside, you could say, yeah, this is Luis Campesano's time, you know, make or break year. But I'm not sure the organization sees it that way. He's still a young catcher, you know, he's controllable. And, you know, you're right, there is trade, the trade interest isn't there because he hasn't been one of those guys that hit the ground running. But that doesn't mean he's not a valuable, you know, asset in their minds.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And again, like you said, there's going to be an opportunity for him this year to, to get some reps behind Austin Nolan and potentially even if Nola gets hurt again, become the everyday guy. So we'll see what he's able to do with that opportunity. Jeff, as part of these discussions, Dylan musco did get the slight nod and ended up breaking ahead of Camposano in our top 10. Um, there's a lot of debate, a lot of calls and discussions with, with people within the Padres front office and you with your guys as well. Ultimately, Lesko got the nod, even with the injury, even with the terrible track record of the right-handers who who throw as hard as he does at a young age, just because of how polished he is, because of how good he is, gets the velocity easily. It's a great changeup. He has an incredible feel for pitching. It's a clean delivery. The controls there. It's really everything you'd want to see, and then he showcased that at Petco Park in the uh, PG All America game in summer of twenty twenty one he would not have been available if he hadn't gotten hurt. And the Padres saw a chance to get a top five talent at that pick. And with the belief they could rehab him, the expectation is he'll be back sometime this summer. Again, we have to see setbacks, but that's the hope and expectation in your discussions with the Padres and their front office officials. What are they expecting from Lesko? What he showed when he's been on the mound is has really been
1: super, super impressive. I mean, I don't think the Tommy John is a concern. I mean, they drafted Cal Quantrill, similar circumstances, and that was never, you know, a concern as long as, the you know, the rehab goes according to plan. Um, you know, they jumped at the opportunity to get a guy uh, 15th overall pick. You know, this was a guy that might have been headed to McGinsey-Gore territory of the draft had he been healthy. So they look at it as an opportunity to get a guy that wouldn't have been available, you know, in the middle of the draft. And I don't think there was any hesitation. Um, so, you know, there's no hurry either. Right. Like they don't need him anytime soon. Um, the way AJ Prowler is, you know, there's 50 50 shot that he gets traded before he ever makes his debut. <laughs> with the like he he's, this is a developmental year. You know, when I ask about Lesko, it's like, let's just see him pitch. Just get out there, throw, build your innings, get your experience, get going.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And again,
1: I agree. This is a guy you want to take
2: it slowly to be sure, but it's interesting. You mentioned that trade piece. I think there's been a lot of guys that at various points, people have said, Oh, this guy is, you know, untradeable or he's not untradable, untradeable, but you know, he's an untouchable prospect or they're not going to trade him. And all that was said about Mackenzie Gore, that was said about CJ Abrams. That was said about Chris Paddock. That was said about a lot of guys who ended up being traded Paddock, obviously, after he had made his major league debut and, and showed there were some things that maybe weren't as polished as people hoped but nonetheless there are a lot of guys who people see as oh we're not trading him and you know with the padres a lot of times those guys do end up getting traded so no prospect is ever not going to be traded in the padre system but you're right this is a long-term plan and again if he comes back healthy and and is the same pitcher he was before surgery he has a chance to be pretty special and that's a shot worth taking at the 15th overall pick to be sure All right, Jeff. These are the clear top three prospects in the system. Two guys who were in the top 100, another guy who has been in the top 100 before and is close. I want to talk to you about some of the rest of the guys in the system, some of the depth.
0: First, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
2: Welcome back to the Baseball America Prospects Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're here breaking down the San Diego Padres farm system with Jeff Sanders of the San Diego Union Tribune. All right, Jeff, we talked about the top three guys in the system. As we mentioned before the break, Jackson, Maryland, Dylan, Lesko are on the top 100. Luis Camposano has been a multiple-time top 100 prospect who is now in the majors. These were the pretty clear-cut top three, um, but there is a really interesting group of players below them, all low-level, but... All of them have either shown something or have some draft pedigree. Take us through this next group. Where would you say the next tier kind
1: of is? Four through through what? Well, I think I turned in um, Zavala as, as number four. Um, guy that, you know, has had some injury. Um, I think it was a leg, you know, start the year last year. I think, believe it ended the year with a hammy. Um, showed some power once he got to Elsinore. I believe it was. 18, 19 years old, hitting, hitting for power in Lake Elsinore. Um, you know, smooth left-handed bat, you know, um, can run a little bit. Um, Padres say true center fielder. We'll see about that. But um, bilingual already, um, you know, he, he's got some upside. He's the guy that I'm interest, interested to see what he can do, you know, with a full season. In general he is a guy that a lot of people are very very high
2: on got up to like Elsinore last year um, showed some impressive things for for a kid as young as he is he's only 18 and there, there is a sense that this is someone who could be a big riser and could be a future top 100 prospect. What are the main things to watch for him both this coming year
1: and in future years? Uh, continued plate discipline um, that's something that's been a strength for him let's see how he maintains that against advanced pitching um, you know, he jumped out to me when he was in the Dominican summer league, cause he was taking walks in a league where everybody swings at everything. So <laughs> like, let's see how that progresses. Um, you know, I would expect to see him at Fort Wayne this year. So that would be something that I'll, I would be watching the swing and miss right there.
2: Yeah. Again, got to Lake Elsinore last year and, and I did see him at the end of the year and look, he's, he's a young, young kid, still super skinny, has, has a lot of physical development left, but, you saw the plate discipline, you saw the power. Um, you know, there, there's definitely ingredients to be excited about and just a matter of how he physically develops. And as you mentioned, adjusts to seeing better competition, but so far so good. And and I think if you're looking for a guy who could shoot up onto the top 100 and pretty high up onto one, this might be the guy in the system, Jeff, one of the older guys in this top 10 is Jay groom. And He's going to be very, very relevant for the Padres here in 2023 because they need starting pitching depth. Uh, they just signed Michael Waka, so they do have four true starters now. But Nick Martinez, we saw last year, was much, much, much better in relief than as a starter. He had an ERA up near five as a starter. It was 4.74 compared to really good in relief. Seth Lugo is much, much, much better in relief. You, you prefer having these guys as swingmen. And if there's any injuries to the starting rotation, look, Michael Waka does have a history of injuries and pitchers get hurt. It happens. The Padres are going to have to turn to some of their guys in the minors to give them some innings as starters at some point this season. And that's where Jay Groom comes in. He was acquired from the Red Sox. The Padres unloaded Eric Hosmer and his contract onto Boston. They got Jay Groom back. First round pick back in 2016, had Tommy John surgery, took some time to find his form and, and get right. But he actually had a pretty good year last year. And what was really impressive was he went to El Paso and pitched well as a starter, which is almost impossible. You really never see that. <laughs> so with that, what do the potters have here in J groom? Could he be a true number five starter? Is he more of a swing man lefty reliever, long reliever
1: spot starter? What, what does he project to be now? I, I think they're interested to find out, right? Uh, I mean, I don't, um, Adrian Morion, you know, they'd love to see him develop, but he's never stayed healthy. I think he's never thrown more than six six innings in a season. I think like those are the reasons that they're going to keep Groom starting for as long as possible. They need him to be able to step in. Um, he's more pitchability now than pure stuff when you you know post Tommy John surgery. Um, a lot of pitch to contact now. That was you know it was impressive that he was not afraid of the contact in the PCL. And kind of was rewarded for it. So um, I think he was he was hoping for the um, September call up last year it did not happen. He's going to get a pretty good run here in, in spring training, and we'll kind of see what he's about. Um, you know, Darvish is going to be gone for a while in, during you know during the WBC. It's an opportunity for Groom to you know to, to step up. You know, there's other guys too that they're going to look at, but I think Groom is high on the list of everyone you know everyone's interest. Yeah, certainly.
2: And look, you mentioned Adrian Morehone. He's just never, ever stayed healthy. And when he has been on the mound as a starter, it's been a lot of two innings, three innings. The ability to consistently go out there and give you even five every fifth day. He's just never shown the ability to do that. Ryan Weathers got lit up in AAA last year. The reports on him are not good. He's a guy, you talk about guys getting moved quickly. went from low A straight to the majors in, in the postseason that was put in the Padres rotation pretty much right away in 2021. And and he missed a lot of key development time. And it's really kind of shown itself to be a problem here uh, recently, especially, you know, Jay Groom does seem like option a, if an injury happens, if something goes awry, if Nick Martinez just can't start over the course of a long season. So in some ways we would talk about these prospects and, and all the talent that's here, Long-term, there are other guys who project to be better, but for a team that is trying to compete now, I look at this top 10 and say Jay Groom is the prospect on this list that's going to have the most direct effect on the Padres' success in 2023.
1: Yeah, I believe I had him listed as you know one of the potential rookie breakouts because there aren't any other spots for a rookie to really break out on the Padres' roster. They're pretty much set everywhere except for the rotation where there are some cracks and um, – you're right. He is a now guy that has a chance. Um, might not have the ceiling of a Robbie Snelling or certainly a Leska or, you know, maybe a Liz Araga, but he can help the team now. And that's what the spring training is going to be about for him, for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Snelling and Liz Araga, the Padres do have some interesting low-level arms here. Uh, Snelling didn't pitch after signing, but he was one of the fastest risers in the draft last year uh, out of Reno, just put up video game numbers and showed real stuff. I uh, was a successful quarterback, uh, just, you know, good athlete with, with good stuff from the left side. Lizarraga went up to Elsinore last year as an 18 year old held his own. You have Hiro Iriarte as well with really good stuff. Good athlete. Uh, Adam Mazur, a college draft pick who also hasn't thrown, but has really good stuff. How do you kind of assess this group of low level arms? Cause again, it's if you have five good low level pitching prospects, odds are only one of them will reach the majors, but At the very least, they have a collection of guys who are interesting and you can see something blossoming.
1: Right. So that's the group of guys where if they have some experience and do what the Padres think they can do, then maybe they aren't ranked in the back you know, third in baseball in the farm system. Maybe they're a little bit higher. So, you know, like Lesko, get out, start pitching, start your careers, get going, get innings. That's what this year is going to be about for them. So I'll be watching them closely to see, you know, What they do, I think, um, you know, Snelling showed well in instructional league. Mazer did too. Reports were positive. Lizarraga was pretty impressive last year, right? You know, I think he started and won both of the Storm's uh, road playoff games, you know, in braces and all, beating guys that are 22, 23, 24 years old. Um, You know, there's some, again, it's risk-reward. There's some young guys that have a chance to get better in the coming years.
2: Jeff? Again, this is not the deepest system. When you trade the amount of players the Potters have, there's just not going to be a lot of depth. At the same time, this is a good scouting group. There are always guys who who take a jump every year. Who are some guys in the back half of this system, the 16 to 30 group that you know you could see really making a jump, and you kind of have tabbed as a sleeper, if you will.
1: Um, so from the class draft cuts, it just um. The- that just got in the system, um, outfielder, Jacob Marcy, um, you know, good makeup guy, good bat, um, to ball skills. Um, can play all three outfield positions. Um, he showed well going um, to the California league um, pretty quickly after the draft. Um, first baseman, the Padres don't draft a whole lot of first baseman, but Nathan Martarella, um, showed well, showed some pop too in, um, you know, in the Cal league as well. Um, you know, a little bit higher on the list uh, was you know Roskin Verdugo, um, pretty young guy, um, held a own, uh, more than held a zone in um, in Arizona last year after signing as an international signee. So th- those are some guys to keep an eye on. Um, you know, some other guys that you might not have heard a whole lot of. Organization is high on um, Zach Keen, uh, kind of a teenage lefty, um, signed out of uh, signed out of China. So um, it's another one to keep an eye on.
2: Yeah, again, all, all really, really young guys. Some of those guys are college guys, Marcy, Martarella. It was kind of funny going in, uh, circling back to Elsinore at the end of the season. Uh, the number of 2022 draftees that were playing for them at the end of the year just kind of funny. It's like, oh, this guy was there, this rounder and this rounder and this rounder. Um, it's funny. I saw Nathan Martarella play for Cal in the spring, and by September I was watching him play in Lake Elsinore. So uh, they definitely, uh, definitely filled that roster with a lot of their draftees, and it was good. These guys got some exposure to pro ball. Jeff, before we wrap up, I do have to ask about Ethan Salas. He signed after the prospect handbook deadline, so he's not currently ranked on the Padres' top ten. But when he is included, he will rank very, very high, at the very least a top five prospect in the system. How do the Padres see him, and how excited are they about him? Because everything from the outside is is glowing.
1: Yeah, they um, were trying to convince me that he, you know, he rivals – Jackson Merrill, you know, Campi Sano Lesco as, you know, the top, you know, prospects in the organization. I'm kind of a wait and see guy like, hey, let's get him playing before we start doing some of that stuff, but they're high on him. Um, you know, and, you know, that's the kind of guy they they needed to get. Um, you know, given where the system is, you know, a guy like that pops and the system looks a heck of a lot better than it did even a week before he signed, right? Um, so he's got, he's a guy that's going to debut in Arizona this this summer, and we'll um, you know we'll see if the tools. I mean, they you know it's power, it's bat to ball skills, it's plate recognition, good defensive um, catcher as well. Um, so we'll see how he stacks up. He's going to be one of the younger guys in Arizona when he when he makes his debut.
2: Yeah, the Padres signed him for five point six million dollars. Venezuelan catcher. His older brother is a prospect in the Marlins system. Comes from a baseball family and. And as you said, he's 16 years old. Um, There's a long, long, long way to go. Catchers, even the best of them take time. But when you just look at what would you want a 16-year-old to have in terms of skills, ability, tools, and and also makeup, he's he's bilingual already and speaks perfectly unaccented English, which is amazing for any 16-year-old to be perfectly bilingual. It seems like it's all there. Everything you could want to this point is there. But again, it's just it's a long, long, long road, you know, from 16 to to being a major leaguer, especially as a catcher.
1: Yeah, yeah you know, the, the makeup thing in, in particular really stands out with him. Um, the Padres, you know, front office was like telling PR, hey, yeah, yeah, you can put him on this national show like two days after he signed. And they were like, really? And they're like, yeah, you can do that. Let's do it. And there he was, you know, you know, speaking better than frankly you're i probably um and then a couple days later in front of the san diego media again doing it again he was at fan fest so you know we'll probably see him a lot in spring training and he'll be i don't we won't see him on the big league side but he'll be around
2: yeah certainly a really really promising young player and um again long way to go still super young catchers take time but uh, certainly an exciting young talent, and, and we'll see what he's able to do when he gets out there. And, and Jeff, you mentioned he's going to go to Arizona. I think just the fact he's going to skip over the DSL and head straight to the complex leagues, that's pretty impressive. That's the plan?
1: Yeah, that is what I'm told. I mean, that's what they did with uh, Rossman Verdugo last year. Um, and Susanna did that. Um, that's kind of the caliber of, you know, international signee they see him as.
2: Certainly impressive, and uh, like you said, if he really, really pops, um, this farm system is going to look a lot better very, very quickly. Jeff, any final thoughts here as we wrap up? No. <laughs> all right, well, it's uh, certainly an exciting time in San Diego. Again, uh, a team that's going to be competing for an NL West title and competing for a World Series if all goes according to plan, with a farm system that has some interesting young talents below it, and as Jeff said, some guys who can really pop the next year or so. And if they do, this farm system is going to look pretty good and they'll have some great trade pieces to maybe go out and get another uh, excellent veteran. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. We appreciate your time and insight as always. Yeah, no problem, Kyle. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Sanders, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.